Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Legend. 458 is the total, out of which Bradman has made 309 not out. It's a world's record. First ball in Test cricket in England for Shane Moore. And he's done it. He started off with the most beautiful delivery. To this is your sporting life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Here's your host, Sam Edmund. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. As always, we're here for our great friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Well, today, we're joined by a man who played 256 games, including 19 finals, three of them grand finals for the Sydney Swans. He was a speculative rookie pick who became a revered figure. Heath Grundy played from 2006 to 2019 and was a vital contributor in the club's push to the 2012 Premiership. Indeed, only six players have played more games for the Bloods. And Grundy grew into a defensive pillar in a side admired by outsiders for its culture and feared by rivals for its famed ability to put the opposition in the sleeper hold. Heath, welcome. Thanks for joining us. G'day, Sam. How are you going? Going very well. Let's start with the nickname. Some are original, yeah. some just stick. Safe to say, I reckon yours just stuck. Well, yeah, I never really um, got it too much as a young kid. My my father got it a little bit from work and stuff, but um, it wasn't until I actually came up to Sydney that it kind of really stuck on it. I remember, actually remember the training session with um, one of my early train, training sessions, Jude Bolton, got it started, and um, by the end of my career, no one knew my first name. Other than Reg, so it, was, um, it certainly stuck. Don't worry about that. Yeah, of course. Nickname Reg after the late Australia media mogul and entrepreneur. Uh, pleasure to speak to you this morning, Reg. Anyway, so you're born in 1986. You grew up in Adelaide, I think. Was it was it always footy for a young Heath Grundy? Uh, yeah, it was. I always enjoyed my... Um, Mum always says as a kid growing up, I always had a ball in my hand. So I, I just enjoyed sport generally. And um, coming up through the ages, I guess that was something that I always enjoyed was playing my footy and um, once I got to a sort of my late teens that was something that I did probably a little bit more seriously and you get involved with the state stuff and all the all the you know the drafts and bits and pieces and it was um, yeah footy was, a, was my main sport and all I really knew by the end of it. What sort of junior player were you Heath? Oh, oh I must have been okay I must have been all right <laughs> from uh, from the get-go I always played generally you know I was one of those kids who would play three games you'd always top up the, the older grades and whatnot as a young kid and then fill in and go all right and always played above my grade and stuff pretty much my whole junior career I would always be up you know a couple of grades sort of playing against sort of the bigger bodies and whatnot which was good for my development. 
And in the position sense, where did you play most as a kid? Uh, generally in the ruck, actually. I wasn't um, generally in the ruck for my local footy and whatnot. And then once I went to sort of Nord and the, this NFL footy, I'd sort of play forward and back a bit more because I wasn't as tall. But local footy, I'd just play in the middle and do what I wanted, really. Kind of and yeah, and you got to the you got to the sample as you say for for Norwood uh, key development ground of course. Yeah, that was um, I actually started there when I was thirteen or fourteen. I played a bit of under seventeen footy, so I was um, pretty well underage at that period for the footy I was playing, um, which was which was good. I had Stephen Rowe, former Adelaide Crows player, um, coach me there for a number of years, and he was pretty instru- instrumental, I guess, in that period for my development and learning and and whatnot and. Um, yeah, I sort of never looked back at Nor. They they looked after me and and, and developed me well. Because you won all Australian under eighteen selection, didn't you, for the state South Australia in two thousand and four? But you were overlooked in the national draft that year. I imagine that's always a bitter pill to swallow for a, a teenage draft hopeful. Probably, like to be honest, it was a little bit unexpected. You know, I'd sort of been pumped up and and whatnot by everybody saying, "Oh, you'll go." And um, then I overlooked. It was a bit of a Bit of a put a bit of a spanner in the works, I guess, as into what was what was ex- expected. But um, in some ways, it was it was a blessing in disguise. I could spend a bit more time um, playing some senior footy, which was probably a better standard than it was up in Sydney. Looking back, the SNFL felt like the league footy was a better standard than the than the Canberra league that the, the Swans reserves were playing. So in some ways, looking back, it was a um, you know it was good for my development to to some degree as well. Just leading up to that draft, Heath, I imagine you'd spoken to a number of clubs, so you'd gone through the whole process. Yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd spoken to it. Obviously, you get you have the odd chat with a few AFL clubs and bits and pieces, and you know the whole draft and whatnot. So there's a bit of hype around it, and you know you get the, the families all excited and bits and pieces like that. And um, I, to be honest with you, I didn't, I didn't like, although I was sort of ready, like pre- prepared to get drafted, I wasn't all that disappointed. I I was sort of always a pretty level-headed kid and was happy to work and whatnot as a as a young kid as well and continue on with my schooling in bits and pieces. So um, to some degree, I was probably relieved because I didn't have to move into state and do, go through all that as well. So it was, um, yeah, it was an interesting interesting phase. Well, that move into state would come 12 months later, of course, wouldn't it? The 2005 rookie draft, you have a great year back in the sample, of course. Pick 42, the Swans take a, a chance on you. I mean, while thrilling... You just touched on it there. The move into state, uprooting your life, really no guarantees either in the AFL space. How tough was that? To be honest with you, I was like a lot of other players, I guess, that you hear stories about, you know, the, your initial changes. Oh, I don't want to go. I want to stay local and play for Adelaide or Port Adelaide and you don't have to worry about moving. All your mates and everything are around, so it makes it a lot easier. But um, as hard as it was, it was the best thing for me and um, certainly helped my footy and sort of my development as a person as well to be able to come come up to the big smoke and sort of see a bit more of the world, which was good. And you arrive at a club that's obviously just won the premiership. I mean, breaking a massive premiership drought, the mastermind, Paul Ruse at the wheel, Goods, Hall, Leo Barry. I mean, the names just roll off the tongue, don't they? What was that like? Well, I knew I wouldn't get a game for a while. <laughs> they had a pretty pretty strong lineup. My, I was rookie at the end of 04, actually, so my first year was, um, was 05, so I right. played pretty much twos, twos all, all through 05 and experienced sort of the, we, we got down to the grand final and, and watched that and got involved in that week as, as a young 18 year old. That was, uh, that was certainly um, a pretty pretty special week and um, obviously not winning one for such a long period was uh, 
was a big big turning point for the football club as well, and we had you know a lot of success from there on in. What was it like? You so at the MCG in 05, What was that like? Yeah, it was um, incredible. I'd never been to a grand final as a, as a kid, and to be able to go up to or to fly down to, to Melbourne and experience. We we went down a few days earlier and um, and spent the whole week down there. So that was that was a pretty good experience to get the whole buzz of Melbourne and something I'd, I'd never really seen before. So um, and then to obviously be be a part of it in the rooms and whatnot after the game and and that it was just you know a pretty special moment. I imagine it would have been fantastic, and uh, as it would be, you had a pretty close ties to grand finals as the, the career went on. We'll come back to those shortly, because you're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Next, we'll have a chat to Heath Grundy about his memories of that stunning AFL debut. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, great to have your company on This Is Your Sporting Life, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. We're with Sydney Premiership player Heath Grundy. Well, Heath, you might have arrived unheralded, but your debut in round 16, 2006, soon changed all that. Yeah, an amazing experience. It was one of, like, I never really expected to get a game, to be honest. I was just sort of, just battling away and, and playing some more at footy in the twos, but then to get the uh, the selection was an was an amazing uh, you know opportunity that I um, took with both hands and um, enjoyed my footy and be able to I think it was Richmond in two thousand six at the SCG so to be able to play at home your home ground in front of a big crowd was uh, was pretty special get the family up and um, and share that with them. And this is in your previous life as a forward, of course. You have 13 kicks, seven marks, two contested, uh, eight contested uh, possessions, and you kick three snags. In fact, I think you polled a Brownlow vote in, on debut, didn't you? <laughs> I was lucky I polled one on debut because I didn't get any since, I don't think. But, um, <laughs> the, yeah, no, it was, to be honest with you, I was uh, after the game, I'm like, how easy is this? But uh, it was, um, yeah, we had a good win. The boys played well. I... Um, Managed to kick a couple of couple of snags early and um, had a pretty uh, pretty good night to be honest. But uh, yeah, no, it was it was a special night. I know you're being modest, but you polled another three Brownlow votes, so it's three, four more than a lot of people, that's for sure. <laughs> um, but the debut, though, Heath, obviously proved hard to replicate as a forward in the in the near future after that. Yeah, we had we had a um, pretty solid forward line through that period, and um, you know we had um, O'Loughlin. Paul, I think like Keith, Davis, um, Schneider, mm. Buchanan, and, and those guys floating around the forward line. So it was um, it was pretty settled at the time, and I played pretty much all my reserves footy up forward for Sydney, and then with a few retirements, it kind of worked out well for me to slide down back, and um, it actually quite it, it actually suited me probably better to be honest, the way I like to play my footy, and um, yeah, I never really looked back once I'd sort of slid down there. And was it Paul Ruse's idea himself, Heath, to switch it to defence? I mean, obviously, it's the move that ultimately sparked a fantastic career. But was it the head coach himself who thought of it? I'm not sure specifically, but he was the one. Basically, I think between him and Horse were the ones that kind of put it together and structured it like that. I think Leo and Craig were injured at the time, and they needed a bit of height, so um, I dropped down there for a few patches, and it suited me. So it. Um, all in all, I think it was a combination of horse and and Rusey. 
how big of an influence was Rusey as a youngster, Heath? Obviously gave me the opportunity to come to Sydney, which was, at the end of the day, that's his decision. So he gave me a huge opportunity to be able to come up there and play footy. He certainly taught me a lot about... His strength was really, you know, the culture of the place, the understanding and the playing group as a whole. Um, you know, he was really, really good at that, being able to get the best out of his players and, and just that hard work and the high standards that was required to play at the top level. He certainly wasn't a wasn't a coach who was going to gift you games as a young player. That was, Although that was probably the era, that period was was a lot more like that. You sort of spent more time playing in the reserves and, and really developing and then coming through compared to now they need the whole list to be able to be available for senior selection. Um, but sorry, I just... <laughs> sorry, I'm just at work. I've got to... I'll, uh, yeah, I'll it's come all good. I'll come up after. Sorry, mate. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Do we start that again? Uh, yeah, yeah. We'll start it again. We'll start that answer again with uh, Rosie. Um, well, Heath, how how big of an influence was was Paul as a, as a youngster coming through? Yeah, look, obviously, you know, I was certainly overwhelmed because with Rosie's uh, footy credentials and the amount he played through his career, I was certainly honoured to be able to play under such a a football figure, and um, his wealth of knowledge within the game is huge and um, you know that the, the club was up and coming with with him coming taking over the years prior. So he he played a big impact on you know the cultural side of it with you know the he, real turning point in the Swans culture and um, you know just that real work ethic and, and to and to develop your game and be really consistent. He was he was instrumental for me and built consistency in me in the reserves. But then um, coming to the seniors and be you know play play a really important role for the team. You go on to play six games in 2006. Now, all of them in the back end, obviously, consecutively from round 16 to 21. You must have been starting to think you're a, you're a chance of finals action. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then uh, Nick Davis decided to um, play a bit better in the twos and push me back out. So, um, But to be fair, that was probably uh, probably fair enough. He uh, he went around the finals for us over a period of time and... Um, Looking back, it was probably the right decision. <laughs> for sure, for sure. But you, but you mentioned going along in 2005, which is a, a joyous day for the club. I imagine you watched 2006 at the MCG as well. Yeah, yeah, we went down for that as well. And I'm, you know, my first two years at the footy club were were in grand finals, so um, pretty. Yeah, that was another special day. Even though we we obviously lost that, and the boys were, were bloody disappointed to be able to go down to the wire and. You know, we had a we, we had some unbelievable games against West Coast through that period, and that was that's probably one of the one of the memories looking back on my early days at the footy club. Is so I went, you know, we I remember going over to West Coast a number of times as an emergency, and you know, I think we had a period of I don't know whether it was a couple of years where you know the margins were you know within two points, three points, one point, seven points. So it was um, yeah a pretty uh, pretty amazing period. Those those. You know, those games against West Coast and um, to even be able to play against some of those, you know, those those big names through that period was pretty special. That was a great modern-day rivalry, that one. And for you, 2009, though, that's the breakout year. You play every game. Now, no offence intended here, but it is in round nine of that season where you do something extraordinary. I don't remember you being known for your ability to get off the ground, but you took the mother of all hangers in that win over Port Adelaide, round nine. I actually, yeah, I can remember that. That was probably my only time I left the ground, to be honest, in my whole career. But the, um, 
Yeah, I uh, was on Darren Jolly, so I was quite happy about that. And uh, um, yeah, it's probably the only mark I can probably um, put my hand up and say it was actually not a not a bad grab. Oh, I don't think the SCG. <laughs> I don't think you got mark of the week, to be honest. No, well, I was going to say you were beaten to the mark of the year by the Birdman, Brett Burton. But if you didn't even win the week, you had no chance anyway, did you? Well, the, bo- the boys are like, oh, you're going to get this surely mark of the week, and um, I can't remember who. Who got it that week? But I was I was pushed out, so I was a bit bit flat with that. I thought surely I can get something for the week. Oh, you should have. I mean, the SCG hadn't seen anything <laughs> like it since Kappa, and you did in You had thirty nine on as well. Well, I think I remember um, there was something that Kappa made a comment about it, saying, "Oh, he's taken one in his career. I oh, used to take one a week." So, um, <laughs> <laughs> in typical Kappa fashion, I love it. And what room is the photo of that Mark Haggard in? You got it uh, pegged up somewhere? No, I haven't actually, but I've got a, I've got a printout um, sitting there, but I haven't actually got it up on the wall as of yet. So that's, that's that actually reminds me. I need to uh, let the let my three boys know what I used to be able to do on the odd occasion. For sure. Now that might not have been a regular trait, but what was was your ability to outbody forwards, many of which were taller, heavier, and you clearly sharpened this skill as you developed and grew into your career. How did you go about doing that? Because it it became a real hallmark week in week out. Yeah, I don't really, I don't really specifically know why. I just, it was just the way my, um, I guess when I was playing my best footy, that was something I did really well, and um, it was probably something that when when I'd review my games, it was always something that if I was playing well, that was something that was on the vision, you know. Um, so it was, I probably as well because I didn't have a lot of my strength wasn't my speed. I had to use other ways to sort of give myself advantages and time and. And whatnot. So that that always sort of probably evolved over the, my career, and um, you know, developed into you know uh, probably my biggest strength by the end of my career. Yeah, because you just read the play so well, and your ability to intercept was just so key to so many attacks that the side started in a game. I mean, did you seek to make contact with the body just at the right time? You always look to initiate that body contact. Yeah, always. Look from my, I guess from my experience and playing over a long period of time, I always found that if you could if you could dictate your player's position, you could always then potentially dictate, you know, like, oh, um, I, I, I don't know how you put it, but I always knew that if I could dictate my opposition's player, I knew where he was, and then I could always work off that mm. and do what I wanted, if that made sense. So, um, whereas if you're looking, I always found if you were looking for your opponent, you couldn't watch the ball and stuff like that. So, um that was kind of the way I, I like to, to sort of read the ball coming in and um, you do you know do your body work early and then go from there. Your backline colleagues over the course of your career and they came and went, but you were a team within a team. So names like Leo Barry, Craig Bolton, Malcheski, Richards, uh, Lewis Roberts, Thompson, Nick Smith. You just always had great synergy. What went into creating something like that? Yeah, I don't know. I don't. It's yeah, it's an interesting question. I guess we were. Um, we were always renowned for a very like a really strong back six, and um, and no matter like, even even with personnel, we had you know the personnel changed at different times, but we always had a good good mix of um, similar types, I guess. As in myself and Teddy were um, paired up pretty well, and then I played some a lot of footy with LRT as well, who was he was um, obviously very good at what he did. But yeah, we we're just a tight, I don't know, we we're a tight group back there. We always felt like we we're a little team within a team, I guess. And 
we always, I guess we, our mindset was to always, no matter how the rest of the team's going, we'd always stand up and um, as hard as that is to do sometimes. I thought over the majority of my career we were able to do that. Were your friends off the field? I mean, did that go into it too? Just creating the, you know, we hear a lot about relationships and culture now as much as at any time, but back then, was that key to it as well? Yeah, I think so. We, um, like to this day, I'm really good mates with the majority of the guys that I play with down back. Um, you know, Nick Smith I played a hell of a lot of footy with, Ted Richards, um, played a lot of footy with we catch up um still regularly lrt's got the uh the place in paddington that we always duck over and have a dinner you know every couple of months which is good and um yeah i I think most of the boys are still pretty close which is important and i think that says a lot about you know as you said our relationship playing as well lrt's obviously a handy uh cook is he yeah he's pretty handy actually the the pulled pork and the and the lamb and whatnot. So he's uh, he puts on a good uh, good spread. He's got Jeez, the like. he's got he's got the uh, the TV down in the bottom garage. It's almost like a little man cave down there for the boys to have a few wines and watch the footy. So it's, oh. uh, it's a good setup. <laughs> you can have your premiership reunions in there. That sounds like a great little dig. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's good. It's very good. You're with This Is Your Sporting Life, brought to you as always by Tobin Brothers Funeral, celebrating lives. After the break, illness strikes Heath Grundy at the worst moment. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Sporting Life. We're chatting with former Sydney defender Heath Grundy. Well, Heath, in 2011, John Longmire takes over as coach. The handover is completed. Did the club need to freshen up at that point in time? Yeah, I think we did. I think it was about, I think the timing was about right. Probably Rusey was probably just getting to the stage where he probably needed to, to step away and have a bit of a break. And I think it refreshed the group to some degree. And, and Horse was. Uh, had been an assistant, senior assistant for a long period of time, and we knew he would be able to, and still to this day, do a do a really good job for the football club, and um, and that he did. <laughs> you hardly ever missed. I mean, from the start of '09 to mid 2018, I think it was you played in 225 of a possible 231 games. But on the eve of the 2011 finals, you haven't been feeling well. What was going on? Yeah, I, well, I normally I'd sort of just battle on through and I got to a stage where I just I just couldn't like run I was just that fatigued and I didn't know why and um, I think I played a number of weeks feeling like that and sort of just battled on but um, I went and saw the doc Nathan Gibbs and he um, said go get a couple of tests and whatnot and um, it came up that I had glandular fever so that sort of put a bit of a bit of a hold on everything I had to I think I, I don't I think I missed maybe two or three games but um, certainly knocked me about for a period of time and makes it pretty hard to play um, top-level footy when you're not feeling the best. <laughs> yeah, so you were actually playing with it late in the season then before you'd been diagnosed properly? Yeah, I had no idea. As I said, I was just, just felt extremely fatigued, like running around. I just didn't feel normal. And after a couple of weeks, I was like, I better get, something, get, better get it checked out. And um, that's what the result was. And then obviously, with I think, yeah, a few of your, your liver and whatnot, it gets inflamed and stuff from glandular fever, so you medically can't play just in case you rupture it. So that was sort of the decision that we um, that the doc said. So I was, 
was pretty keen to keep going, but he didn't want to. He obviously said I couldn't, which was probably the right decision. Yeah. What's the process to re- recovery for something like that, Heath, for those that are unfamiliar, and how long did it take? Well, I think it's quite individual. Um, it's going back a little while now. I can't exactly remember the full process of what, what had to be clear, but I think we had, a, had to do a couple of scans to make sure. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was just your liver or your spleen or something that gets inflamed. So once that reduces back to normal, normal kind of sizing, um, on the scans and you're, you're pretty well right to go as long as you sort of your, your symptoms of fatigue and whatnot are, you know, back to, uh, you know, a relatively normal standard. So I, I can't, it was sort of obviously towards the back of the season, so I can't remember exactly how long it delayed me for. And just that consistency, that otherwise remarkable level of consistency, and I, I talked about how many games you're able to, to play, you hardly ever missed. I mean, was that good luck, good yeah. management, or a bit of everything into the melting pot? Certainly good luck. The luck is, you've got to have a bit of that along the way, I think, um, to be able to, you know, obviously guys, you know, get some really, really bad luck with some really significant injuries. Um, but, yeah, I think I think there's obviously an element of luck to it. And um, and then obviously, it's, you know, your preparation and, and getting right for each week and, and doing those things as well. So it's certainly a combination of everything put together. Um that sort of that worked for me. It worked really well for me throughout my my journey, I guess, and always relied pretty heavily on, you know, preparing well and doing my all my injury um, prevention sort of stuff from the doctors and physios and stuff to keep on top of things. And um, and then I, and the, I guess another portion that probably goes unnoticed a little bit is probably just just playing with injuries and whatnot that people, I guess, a lot of people watching footy don't understand about. Um, you know, the majority mm. of players out there are playing with, you know, niggling injuries or, you know, quite significant injuries at times that um, that you just got to do. Did you have one that you played with that stood out above the others as perhaps being a real roll of the dice sort of setup? Um, yeah, I think we played, actually, it was probably later in my career. I think it was either 2017 or 2018 I played. Um, we played Essendon in a final at the SCG. And I sort of landed a bit awkwardly on my foot. Um, and I thought I'd just roll my ankle initially. And then it just got really, really sore that week. And um, we, we we had a win. And we were playing Geelong at the MCG that week. In a prelim, we lost. But um, I had my foot scanned. And I was in a moon basically all week and on crutches. I couldn't walk on it. And um, I remember when they said, oh, you've chip the navicular bone on your foot like it's pretty decent. Do you reckon you can play? I'm like, oh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but we ended up, managed to get out there and do it, but that certainly impacted my, my pre-season and, um, mm. and whatnot the next year. It's, it, it, it was probably almost a little bit of a turning point, I reckon, um, for my c- career from there on in, in, in into some degree, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. Just a, just a flow and effect of playing with injuries and just not being able to train the next pre-season because probably that, that, that Geelong game really really knocked me about as in just the delayed injury soreness and how long it took to get back going. 
Yeah, because not, not many things stopped you from getting out there. I mean, uh, there was the odd injury. There was suspension, I think, uh, once or twice. And But you made the brave <laughs> decision a, a couple of years ago, 2018, to um, you know step away from the game to focus on your mental health. I mean, uh, obviously, that would have been a tough period for you to deal with. And how are you coping with all that stuff now? Yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm actually I'm going really well at the moment. I think it was to be to be honest, thinking looking back on it now, I guess um, it was probably from playing so many games for such a long period and just pushing myself constantly to just because I, I don't know, I just had this thing where I always wanted to play every week. I didn't want to miss. Um, I like rhythm and routine, and and you know being relied, you know, like having that feeling of being relied on and being there all the time. So. It was probably a combination of that, playing with a lot of injuries and um, and soreness and whatnot. Got to a point where, with that, with a bit of you know, you know, a small baby at home that's not sleeping, and a combination of all those things that just got all too much and had to take some time. But I'm certainly in a really good place now, working, and um, you know, I'm happy to be away from footy at the moment, enjoying my uh, next chapter of life. So it's been it's been a been a nice change, as as hard as retirement is. It's been certainly a a nice change as well. Fantastic. Well, we'll come back to the current day in a moment, but the glandular fever obviously cost you a spot in the 2011 finals series. But by the opening round of 2012, you're flying again and you, you play every game in the home and away season and then comes that magical final series and your first grand final as a player anyway. What was that like first yeah. time round? Well, I was actually... Um, <laughs> I'm just thinking back now. I was, just, I was actually really lucky because we played... I'm not sure what... I think we played Geelong in a semi, maybe, down there in 2012. And I I got done... I got reported for striking on Pods Adley, actually. That's and, right. And um, I got two weeks downgraded to one. So I was actually very lucky. Otherwise, I would have missed the grand final. Round 23. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was actually... Um, that was that was lucky. Otherwise, I certainly wouldn't, wouldn't have been playing. But um, Horse chucked me back in for the grand final. And we... Uh, yeah, unbelievable experience, incredible journey. We we were probably a little bit unexpected to even make the grand final that year, and we managed to string some really good footy together in the back half. And I think we lost a few games to the, to the top sides, but we we went in pretty pretty battle hardened for the final series and um, come out on top. Mm. Nick Malcheski snap. Mitch Morton's heroics. You know, Adam Goods did his PCL. He not only kept playing, but he kicked a huge goal in the last term. What are your memories of the day itself and the game itself? Like for me, I was just, I was just, um, I, can't, I, I can't even really remember the game. A lot of it because I was just on, like, just on autopilot, just doing what you do. I guess it sounds a bit stupid, but I, um, yeah, when the when the siren, when it took me probably two or three seconds to really even understand what had happened. Even really clicked with the siren and gone, we won it. Um, you're just sort of just trying to do your. Everyone's just out there trying to do their best, and then all of a sudden the siren went, and you thought, God, we've just won it, you know. Um, but just yeah, it's an amazing experience, and to be able to share that with the guys, and you work like you work so hard to to get there, and and it's probably not even just that season. It's when you're a ten year old kid running around a local footy. That's that's your journey starts there more so than just, you know, 2012 when the season starts. It starts off when you're eight, ten years old and you dream to play in a grand final and win one without really realising it until it happens. And I imagine having the friends and family there on the day just brings all that to the surface, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. And that's, 
and like I guess that's the same thing too. Is that you know for your mum to be able to to you know to share that with your mum and um, and your family and things to, for them to be there because they're the ones that you know they're the ones driving you to footy three four nights a week and on the weekends and whatnot as a young kid and, and I guess that's a that's a small gesture to them to you know thank them for for um for, you know all the all the the time and effort and um, parenting that they do for you to get there. Some of the celebrations have become at Clubland the stuff of legend over the years for premiership winning sides. Who was best on ground in the aftermath? <laughs> oh, God. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think. I'm just... <laughs> I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> I must have been good. was pretty good, to be honest. It must yeah. have been good then. Nah. Two... Two years later, 2014, it's the same venue, same opponent, same day, but a very different result. What went wrong in 2014 as it lives on with you now? God, I think we just didn't have enough guys rowing the boat. That that game, I think, 2012, we were just on that, you know, that, that real hunting sort of, um, just had that real bite about us. I think 14, we, we came in a bit maybe complacent, Having said that, Hawthorne were probably us in 2012, but on a probably a, a higher level. They just really wanted to get one back at us. And to their credit, that first quarter absolutely killed us. And um, I think looking back, it's the old cliche: you still got to rock up and win it. And, um, it doesn't matter whether you've won 10 games for the season or 20; you still got to rock up on the day and, and win it. And we certainly didn't do that. We we started poorly and. Um, it was all too late after quarter time. Just while we're on the, the big dance, the grand finals, another two years later, 2016, it was just a titanic tug of war with the Western Bulldogs. <laughs> they did have a sense of um, destiny about them that year, but how do you look back on that one? Yeah, I think that was... Uh, I, I was probably more frustrated with, obviously, 14, mm. we were just well beaten, but 16 was one that we... I feel we probably should have won. Um we just, yeah, we were just a bit off the mark. They played really well. You know, it could have gone either way, I guess. And, you know, a few decisions go both ways and or either way and you, and you win. Um, but, like, I look back on that for the Bulldogs as a, you know, they won some unbelievable games of footy to get there. You know, they beat the Giants out, out at Homebush. Um, Got West Coast know. too in the first week, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they beat West Coast. So they, they, um, they certainly deserve to be there and and to get it over the line, you know, um, was pretty pretty amazing by them as well. So, and that's what grand finals are about, to be honest. Like, the, just the contest was was amazing and a great spectacle. Unfortunately, we didn't want win, but um, you know, the doggies were were you know thoroughly deserving in what they did. You don't bring this game up in the vicinity of Swan supporters either, Heath, because they go straight to the free kick count. Um, speaking of decisions that were made. <laughs> it, it, it did cross my mind, but I didn't say it. <laughs> <laughs> when, when you look back on it as a player, though, for all you achieved, is there a sense of, not regret, but what might have been? Three grand finals, one win, that you couldn't jag at least one more? Oh, I think I would have liked to certainly win. As I said, 16 was probably one that, I thought we should have won. We could have won, um, but just the way the game ebbs and flows, that's what that's it went their way. Um, it would have been yeah to to sit back and look on your career and know you've won two grand finals um, would have been pretty nice. Um, but uh, 
Yeah, oh, look, I, look. To be honest, in the bigger picture, in the bigger scheme of things, um, to be able to just play finals every year and be a part of that um, finals experience every year for pretty much, I think, all but one of my seasons was mm. was was pretty special in itself. And um, you know, you play you play you in the in the regular season, but then you know the, the big prelims at the MCG and grand finals and stuff are. And memories you'll take forever and pretty special. And, um, you know, you sit back now and, and watch finals footy and you go, geez, it'd be nice to be a part of that again. So it's something that I'll miss. And um, it's, it's certainly a, a special part of the year that you want to be a part of every year. Yeah, well, you were certainly a regular feature in September. Not too many early uh, footy trips were booked in for you. There's no doubt about that, mate. Uh, we're talking to Heath Grundy on This Is Your Sporting Life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. We'll be back right after this with the former Swans defender. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Well, it's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Sporting Life, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals. Former Swan Stopper Heath Grundy is our guest today. Well, Heath, you retired last year due to a chronic back injury. How's the body now? I had surgery um, a couple of months after I finished uh, I sort of retired. I had, I tried to let my back settle down for a period of time to see if it would get any better, but it certainly um, hadn't improved. I'm probably about 12 months, 12 months post surgery now, and still obviously got the the chronic stuff going on. But it's it's, um, yeah, it's better than it was. It's better than it was. It's not great still, but it's it's better than it was. Will it get back to good? Do you think? Um. I don't know. I doubt it. <laughs> I'd like yeah, it to be a bit, you, bit better. You, it's certainly, um, it's certainly grumbled. Like it, it ebbs and flows, but it's. I'd like it to be a little bit better than it is. I'd heard you were you were saying it was obviously at its worst. It was hard to get in and out of the car, and you couldn't pick up your son out of the cot. I mean, um, that's that's you know really important day to day life stuff. Never mind footy. Yeah. Well, I had. That's that's why we sort of sat on the decision to get it was pretty decent surgery and it was going to knock me about for a period of time so I um, decided to just sit on it for a period of time to see if it would get any better from when I'd finished and it actually kept getting worse and worse so I was just starting to get pretty like pretty sore and pretty immobile so that's why I went in and got it done and it's um, my day-to-day stuff's pretty good but I have days where it's pretty sore still and restricting how tough is this game, AFL footy, Heath? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty brutal. If you, yeah, it's certainly brutal on your body and and whatnot once you finish. It's, uh, yeah, it's it, it takes a lot out of you, but it's um, very rewarding at the same time. And aside from the injuries, how have you? transition from life away from the game you know you players like you you're there for a long time the structure and everything is as you say the routine what's life now it's an interesting dynamic i think when you look at um i think to some degree playing footy for a longer period of time is actually harder transition than it is when you play for a short period of time because you've been in it for longer you're older um so i struggle with it probably more in my latter years of footy than actually the retirement phase, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, just trying to work out what I wanted to do, planning of you know, you know, your finances and how you're going to structure your 
life with three kids and and whatnot. So that's I found that harder to play with than I did actually retiring. Um, hmm. But I'm uh, I'm can't, well, I was always keen to get away from footy. Um, so I'm working at the moment, you know, for a construction company, like a commercial construction company, FDC, which is they're in Melbourne actually. So they're um this their head office is in Sydney, but they're in in most of the states and do commercial stuff. So I've uh, been enjoying that. It's, a, it's an office-bound job, but I'm enjoying that and um, learning a learning a hell of a lot. And so do you still, while you're outside the footy industry, do you still keep an eye on the game today? You're like the rest of us, you, you get home after a, a big week of work and put the feet up and watch a couple of games, or do you, have you kept it at <laughs> arm's length? Yeah, it's interesting. I've never really watched a lot of footy. I never watched a lot playing. Um, I probably watch more now than I did when I was playing, to be honest, and, and it's still not not a heap. I'm actually real, like, I'm really enjoying watching the young guys at Sydney um, the last sort of 12 months develop and um, yeah, I just flick it on and enjoy watching them coming through because obviously they were sort of come, like just sort of new to the club when I was finishing. So I like to put that on and, and see how they're going and and they're starting mm. to really develop and which is good to see. Obviously we're not winning as many games as we would have liked, but it's um, it's certainly I like. With the group we got, I still when when people go, oh, the Swans are going to win this week. I, every week, I think that if the boys are playing their best footy, they're going to there's certainly a chance. And um, they're, they're playing some competitive footy at the moment, even though the the scoreboard's not showing that. Yeah, they're still keeping teams honest, aren't they? And and not that he's a young fella, Absolutely. but Lance Franklin, he was an opponent, then he was a teammate. Where's he placed in the grand scheme of things? Do you think? And just how big of a superstar is he in Sydney? Look, he's um, for Sydney. He's been unbelievable. Just the the uh, the scope that he brings of supporter base and whatnot has been unbelievable. And to be able to play alongside someone of his capability and um, you know his impact on the game from when the games obviously first started, like he's, you're probably not going to get a bigger bigger name in the game. So um, it's a, from my perspective, it was always an honour to be able to run out with him and, and play with him. And not only that. You know, knowing personally as well is is pretty special. Um, yeah, it's an, and and obviously with with his hamstring or, or I don't know exactly whether it's the hamstring or tendon or what exactly it is, but um, he's certainly um, he'd be he'd be very disappointed sitting on the sidelines because he absolutely loves his footy. He's got a footy brain, and um, you know that's why the crowds go to watch him. And people sort of rush to say he might be finished and he's this age and all the rest of it, but you're pretty confident he, you know the makeup of the man better than most. He can get back to his best? <laughs> I think he can. I think, I guess the challenge is as you get older to be able to, for someone like Buddy who is such an explosive type player, I guess the challenge for him is going to be at 33, 34, being able to do what he wants to do with minimal training week to week um, and to keep the conditioning, I guess. So, um but he's he's shown before that you can certainly, with minimal training, you can play at very at a pretty high standard. So <laughs> I, I would I won't be surprised to see him back at some stage. When you <laughs> retired, Nick Rewalt said of you, every time in my career you came up against him, you knew you were in for a really tough day. He was so good once he had you in his vicinity. He was just such a strong competitor as a player, but he made your life really difficult. So that's a key forward talking about you, but I was keen to get the flip side of that. Who were your toughest opponents, do you think? Buddy was always, obviously, a couple of times I played on him at Hawthorne. 
I always um, found him extremely hard to play on. Um, obviously, Nick Rewalt was another one when he was flying in my early days. He was he was um, he was one of the best. He uh, he certainly he certainly got the best out of me. I thought because he was always really good at his, you know his, his aerobic capacity and whatnot. And I thought that was something that probably I sort of personally took as a challenge to be able to try and match him with that, even though it probably didn't look like it. But I'd, I'd see that as a challenge with, with Rewalt. Um, and then Jack Rewalt, he's always found him really, really hard to play on as well. He's just really nimble and um, sees the game so well. And, you know, he, he's got a good mix of being able to get up on the lead and then take pack marks. And he's got a good, yeah, a really good mix of strength. So that's, that's what makes a good player. That's fantastic. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you, Heath. I mean, some of the critics, they said you're unfashionable, you're undersized, you were this, you were that, but ultimately you're a rock in that defence. You got the job done week in, week out, and six top ten finishes in the club championship are uh, evidence of that. You were dependable and you played a vital role in a golden era at the Swans. Thanks so much for joining us today. No worries. Thanks very much. And thank you for joining us also. You've been listening to This Is Your Sporting Life, all thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We'll catch you this time next week to celebrate the life of another sporting icon. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.